0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Monterey Noir, A Barker Mystery, Book 1, written by Patrick Whitehurst. A Homeless Hero with the Crime-Solving Skills of Sherlock Holmes Not every hero lives in a mansion or works from a smoky, hard-boiled office. Enter Barker, a mysterious man with no memory of his past ferociously handsome and acutely observant Barker makes his home under the soggy planks of old fishermen's wharf along California's foggy central coast his closest friends are an assortment of stray dogs ranging from a large rottweiler to a tiny shih tzu who live with him adventure and intrigue have an uncanny knack for crossing Barker's path in this first entry of the series Bernie Barker's sole human friend, bestows his makeshift home upon the man and his dogs just before dropping dead. It's up to Barker to honor Bernie's last wish to atone for his sins, which doesn't prove to be an easy task. Meanwhile, forces are at work in other parts of the fog-swept city, which will lead to the homeless detective and his dogs to a deadly confrontation in the heart of Monterey Bay itself. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Monterey Noir.
1: Chapter 2. A Foggy Day's Problem The fog slinked in to blanket the city of Pacific Grove as Barker strolled along the dirt shoulder of Highway 68. Fog tended to create a lazy effect among the inhabitants of Monterey Bay. It was no different on this day. Traffic slowed to a trickle of cars, and no one except Barker appeared to be on the streets. The power lines above him sizzled in the mist. A foghorn moaned somewhere in the distance, and the street lights shone orange on the wet asphalt. He stared at the ground near his feet as he walked, thinking of nothing more substantial than finding a cup of hot tea. A nearby cafe offered some of the best Earl Grey on the peninsula. Barker made up his mind to spend his last dollar there. Dangler the Rottweiler and Zero the Shih Tzu led the way before him, his tiny feet working furiously to keep up with his bigger companions. Barker could tell from the look in Dangler's eyes that his stomach was in charge. His marble-sized black orbs stared busily from bush to bush for any sign of a morsel. He'd find something soon enough. Behind him trotted Connor the Border Collie and Davis the Pit Bull. Grizz was nowhere to be found, but he'd show up, usually days later. As a coyote mix, Grizz would find his own way back with no problem, but never when expected. Barker never worried as to the whereabouts of the pack. The fog bank and its subsequent drizzle often immersed the city of Pacific Grove. It rolled in nearly every day. Barker found he liked the fog. It had a quieting effect on the soul and brought calm to his mind. He'd been staying near a ridge within the limits of Pebble Beach, not close enough to be seen by anyone, for the last two days. The dogs loved it in the woods. They wandered off for hours exploring the trees, sniffing the beds of dried-up brown pine needles, and familiarizing themselves with the squirrels and deer that lived there. Barker constructed a small lean-to of broken branches, oak bushes, and pine needles. He built the fort against the side of a fallen tree and lay under its cover as the fog rolled in. Living off the land, eating berries and sipping dew sustained him, but for the most part he merely relaxed under his fort and listened to the lonely wail of the foghorn each day as it called to the sea. Now it was time to get back into the world. He needed a shave, and his parka was streaked with grime. Later, he'd wash it in the tide and leave it out to dry on a rock. Barker knew the sun would be out over Monterey and neighboring seaside. He'd have only to break through the wall of fog near Cannery Row to feel that sunshine. Pacific Grove and Carmel were the two cities on the peninsula that regularly fell under the gray fog bank. There was no hurry. Barker's primary concern was to purchase tea to warm his insides. The lights of the first business appeared to him through the mist. It was a small grocer. Only one automobile, a new Ford Explorer, colored the shade of eggshells, sat parked outside the store with a small inflatable raft tied to the roof. A block or two further down Forest Avenue lay his destination. He began crossing through the parking lot when a strange din reached his ears. The dogs stopped, their snouts pointed toward the clamor, Muffled, but somewhere nearby, a dog whined. Barker focused in on the sound and discovered that it came from the explorer and went to it. He saw an Irish setter in the back. The dog appeared distressed, scratching at the hatch in the rear, and circled the interior of the vehicle. It stopped when it saw Barker approach, whined, and stared up at him. The dog wore a new collar colored in red and green zigzags, but he could not read the tag, covered under a heavy mane of red fur, to discover its name. The setter reached up to him and put its paw on the glass. It left a smudge of wet beach sand on the window. Barker looked in at it and smiled. Dangler and the others crowded around his feet. Inside the hatch area were wet paw prints and a light sprinkling of red hairs where the dog moved around. Setters are notorious for shedding. The rest of the car's interior appeared in immaculate order. Barker observed two suspicious-looking cinder blocks on the front passenger side floorboards. The seats were clean and cozy-looking. He imagined them to make wonderful beds for a sore back. He strolled slowly around the vehicle, noted that it had Washington plates, and went back to see the nervous setter. The rest of the pack wandered into the fog after deciding this was to be Barker's mission. Theirs consisted of finding food. They did, however, remain in earshot. Barker had been looking over the ford for roughly five minutes, and when he returned to the setter, found that more hair had fallen onto the floor of the hatchback. The dog was obviously upset. Barker put his hand on the glass and spoke to the animal. Don't worry, friend. I'll get you out of there. When Sullivan made it to the cash register, he felt pretty good about himself. His head felt warm and tingly, while his muscular body felt invigorated with energy. The three shots of Jim Beam he consumed in the SUV started to kick in. An old man stood at the register, though he paid no attention to the man in the yellow wind jacket and khaki pants. Sullivan knew he had a different effect on women he met, as his long list of girlfriends and lovers could prove. His broad chin, flat nose, and icy blue eyes were always an attraction to the opposite sex. His hair was cut short, military style, and shaved around his ears. Being a weightlifter of nearly six feet in height was also an advantage when it came to attracting the opposite sex. Not every woman fell for his strong physique and handsome looks, however. Shirley was evidence of that, but one couldn't woo them all. He'd get his revenge on her. He remembered their last morning waking up together. She wore nothing but a pair of white running socks. The blankets were pushed to their feet, and her long blonde hair fanned over a pillow, disheveled and luxurious. Early morning sunlight poured over their glistening nude bodies. He pressed his contoured frame against her curves. His wide hands massaged the swells of her generous breasts. He teased her with his fingers by rubbing the tips of her tan nipples between his thumb and index finger. She moaned, her body responded to his hard physique, and he shifted from her side to a push-up position. She lay pinned beneath him, her hips rising to meet his. He pinched her breasts harder. Say nothing. Not a word, he commanded. She felt him enter her. Her body vibrated with the thrill of his touch. She ran her hands along his rippling muscles and down to his firm buttocks. His rhythmic motion felt like the beating of a drum. Faster and faster keeping tempo like a seasoned professional. The pain he brought her nipples made her bite her lower lip in ecstasy. Her fingers dug into his backside, leaving deep red trails as she scratched her way up to his lower back to his shoulder blades. Her body exploded in a parade of joy and pain, mingled as one juicy sensation. Sullivan released his hold on her just long enough to slap the side of her face. You do not hurt me, he growled, his hips, despite the harsh words from his mouth, continued to thrust. Do that again and you'll be sorry. The joy left her then. Her cheek stung from his touch. Sullivan pressed his body against hers, his body slick with sweat. He shuddered and convulsed. Shirley remained silent. She'd been ordered to say nothing and she didn't want to be slapped again. Dominance was always something she enjoyed, but not like this. Sullivan showed no respect for the act, no respect for the submissive beneath him. She liked the game, but only so far. When they'd dressed, she'd tell him so, and ask him to leave. The old man still paid no attention to Sullivan when he put his cord of nylon rope on the counter. He rang up the bill and took Sullivan's money. Finally, he looked up to him with a question perched on his lips. That your explorer out there? the old man asked. Sure is, Sullivan smiled, returning from his thoughts. Why do you ask? There's some guy in a blue snow parka out there messing with your dog. Sullivan scooped the cord into his hands and hurried outside into the fog. Hey! he yelled to the man in the parka. What do you think you're doing? The man turned to face him. Sullivan stopped a foot from his face. Three days of facial hair growth clung to Barker's face. Smudges of dirt were visible on his cheeks and the forehead. There was an earthly smell to him, pungent and strong, which made Sullivan's nose wrinkle. He fixed his gaze on Barker's green eyes and asked again, What are you doing? Is this your dog? the man asked. The two were roughly the same height and build. Sullivan smelled of gray flannel and appeared freshly shaved. Barker could see a hint of anger in his blue eyes. They shifted back and forth from him to the setter. He could smell alcohol on his breath. Yeah, it's mine. What of it? There's something wrong with it. He probably needs to go to the bathroom, Sullivan replied. He's been in there five hours straight. We're from Seattle. Been on the road since yesterday. Barker leveled his grassy eyes at the other man and said, That dog has not been in there for five straight hours. Sullivan snorted. How do you know? He clenched the cord of nylon in his hand until the knuckles turned white. Its feet are wet. If it had been in there as long as you say, They would be dry by now. Sullivan relaxed a bit. This man was an annoyance, but that was all. We did stop at a park near here a while ago. I forgot. An idea came into Sullivan's mind. Hey, maybe you could help me out. I'm looking for Lover's Point. Can you tell me how to get there? Astro, he's never been to the beach. I want him to see it. Barker looked at the vehicle. Once more, he found himself wondering about the raft on the roof. The two cinder blocks on the floorboards of the passenger side caught his attention as well. Looking back at Sullivan, he saw the cord of nylon rope in his hand. Those three items, plus the nervous setter, made him uneasy. That's nice of you. Barker appeared to relax. That Irish setter back there will appreciate your effort. It's always a welcome relief to meet people who care about their pets. Yeah. Sullivan eased his knuckles slightly as he talked to the man in the blue parka. He's been hanging out with me all day, sleeping up front on the passenger seat mostly like a newborn baby. Hey, you were going to tell me how to get to Lover's Point, right? You're lying to me. This is not your dog. Bullshit. Sullivan pushed Barker away from the Ford. It was only a slight shove that Barker took without any further action. Why don't you mind your own business, you bum? Get out of here! This dog has been to the beach very recently, Barker continued. It left sandy smudges on the glass. There's been no rain in almost a week. The only place he could have gotten wet was at the beach. There could be any number of explanations. Sullivan threw his hands up into the air and wondered why he was still talking to this smelly man. But so what? I took him to the beach. Who cares? There's no sand packed in the grooves of your tires, none near your brake or gas pedal inside. This dog has been to the beach, but you haven't. Come on, man, Sullivan moaned. He reached into the pocket of his windbreaker and grabbed his keys. The SUV chirped twice when he disabled the alarm. Just leave me alone. I'm taking this dog, Barker told him. It's not yours. Go ahead and try. I'm leaving. Sullivan opened the driver's side door. With a flash, Barker kicked it closed again. His hand clamped over Sullivan's wrist and spun him around. Sullivan found himself pinned against the vehicle with this man holding him easily in place. He would never have imagined a street person to possess such vitality, such raw power. Those wet paw prints are nowhere else inside this vehicle but the back. You said it was sleeping up front next to you. Why are there no wet prints there? Barker pressed. His grip never faltered on Sullivan's wrist. The man was immobilized. He hasn't been up there since the beach, Sullivan pleaded. Let me go, huh? What are you? Some kind of wild man cop? You look like a vagrant. How about I give you a buck and you split? That dog, Barker nodded his head to the hatchback, has not been in the passenger seat of this vehicle at all. You can't know that. I was out here with the dog while you were buying that rope. It's shed, Irish setters shed. Yet there isn't one red hair on your passenger seat. That dog hasn't been there. Fighting against Barker's grip, the man tried to shove his way past the man. No matter how much pressure he used, Barker held fast. Sullivan gave up. It doesn't make any difference. You're just a freaking bum. I could be lying to you for the fun of it. You still can't prove he isn't mine. Yes, I can. Sullivan looked incredulously at Barker and asked, How? That Irish Setter is a female, he answered. If it was your dog, you'd know that. You wouldn't keep calling her a he. Sullivan was stunned. He looked next to him into the hatchback. The Irish setter sat on its haunches. She watched the heated exchange with a cocked head. Barker released his hold on the man, snatched the keys from his hand, and tucked them into the pocket of his jacket. He walked to the hatch. Sullivan watched, motionless. Against a man of Barker's energy, Sullivan was nothing more than a house cat to a tiger. Barker opened the hatch. The setter leapt into the parking lot, wagging her tail. Barker knelt before it and lifted the hair over her tags. The name read, Susie. He found an address for her house on Fifth Street, just down the hill, right there in Pacific Grove. Sullivan appraised the vagrant when he kneeled down to greet the setter. He considered attacking him while his attention was diverted. He stared at the fog around him. The old man in the grocer was visible through the haze talking on a cell phone. He stared at the two men in the parking lot. Whatever he was saying, Sullivan couldn't discern but he considered the possibility that the man called the police. He saw movement in the fog. Five dark shapes emerged, low to the ground, and walking on all fours. When Dangler, Zero, Connor, Bell, and Davis strolled into view, Sullivan froze. The five dogs came to Barker's side, paying no attention to the panting setter as it wagged its tail and looked at Barker. The bum stood, his gaze directed solely at Sullivan. The homeless man turned and strolled into the fog, the six dogs following him, quickly turning into dark, misty blurs. When the police arrived moments later, the blurs had vanished. A half hour passed as Sullivan tried to explain to the police that some crazy vagabond stole his car keys and dog. Both officers who showed up to the scene wondered about the nylon rope and cinder blocks in the otherwise immaculate sport utility vehicle. He had a pack of dogs with him. He took my keys, guys. Can't you go after him? Sullivan begged. A pack of dogs, you say. I think we've heard of this guy, said one officer. He nodded his head in the direction of the automobile. What's with the rope and cinder blocks? Just then, a red Dodge neon pulled into the parking lot. A blonde woman exited the car and headed toward them. She wore a pair of shorts and tank top with house slippers tugged over her petite feet. Mascara smudges smeared her large eyes. Quite beautiful, the woman caught the attention of the two policemen immediately. Sullivan slumped against the door of the Ford. An Irish setter sat in the passenger seat of the car, wagging her tail. "'This man stole my dog,' she told the officers. "'My name is Shirley Jorgensen. Susie was returned to me not less than ten minutes ago. The gentleman who returned her said this guy would be here, the person who tried to take my dog.' She fixed her gaze at the man with the defeated look on his face. "'You were going to kill her because I dumped you, weren't you, Sullivan?' Shirley went to the policeman. "'I just met Sullivan a week ago. He's from out of state. I broke off our relationship due to his abusive behavior. The gentleman who returned Susie just now said he thought Sullivan was going to take her out in that raft, tie her up, and use cinder blocks as weights to drown her. What do you think?' The two policemen looked at each other, then back to the cinder blocks and rope in the car. They closed in on Sullivan as Barker breached the fog bank near Cannery Row.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Monterey Noir. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.